Hi, this is Dr. David Blumke in Madison, Wisconsin. I'm the editor of the journal Radiology. This is part two of our August 2019 podcast. The goal of these podcasts is to present a brief summary of key research in our field to keep you up to date. Today, we will review three new research papers from the August issue. Before we get to the research results, I'd like to mention an article we term a special report. The title is Bosniak Classification of Cystic Renal Masses, version 2019, an update proposal and needs assessment. The first author is Dr. Stuart Silverman from the MGH in Boston. Dr. Silverman is well known in our field as an expert in GU radiology. The other 14 authors are also luminaries and frequent lecturers in GU at the RSNA and our other CME meetings. The paper was endorsed by the Society of Abdominal Radiology. As you inferred from the title, the article is intended to fix the Bosniak classification of cystic renal lesions. Let's first do a quick review of the Bosniak system and then discuss why a fix might be needed. From the beginning, who is Dr. Bosniak? Dr. Morton Bosniak had a great influence on our field. The story of one individual with such a long-lasting impact is quite unusual in medicine and radiology. Dr. Bosniak passed away in 2016. He previously had been on the staff of New York University, or NYU, for more than 40 years. He started the first abdominal imaging fellowship in the United States and created a famous course from NYU called the Head to Toe Imaging Conference. That course has been running for 35 years, held just before the Christmas holidays in New York. I lectured there a number of years ago and had a great time seeing the Broadway play Wicked a year after it opened. The story of the Bosniak classification began in 1986. Dr. Stanley Siegelman, former editor of radiology, commissioned several state-of-the-art reviews written by luminaries in radiology. Dr. Bosniak wrote his article in 1986, The Current Radiological Approach to Renal Cysts, published in Radiology. That article has a wonderful conversational style. It feels like Dr. Bosniak lecturing to you based on his extensive experience. His article shaped the entire field of GU imaging for the next 30 years. Here's what Dr. Bosniak said about how we set up the Bosniak criteria. In quotes, it might be helpful to divide cysts and cystic lesions into four categories. Category 1, simple benign cysts. Category 2, benign cystic lesions that are minimally complicated and for which experience is being accumulated that will allow surgery to be avoided if possible. Category 3, more complicated cystic lesions that will exhibit some radiologic features seen in malignancy and therefore need surgical exploration. Category 4, lesions that are clearly malignant, cystic carcinomas. Dr. Bosniak went on to explain the categories. Category 1, simple benign cysts. Category 2, these are minimally complicated but benign. Dr. Bosniak stated the goal was to avoid surgery for these Category 2 lesions. Category 3, Originally, Dr. Bosniak stated these had some malignant features, but they needed surgery. He admitted that some Category 3 lesions will be benign at surgery. Category 4 defined clearly malignant, with large cystic components. Dr. Bosniak offered further explanations. For example, he said his rules applied to lesions 3 sonometers or less because that's all he knew about. He did not have enough pathologic proof at the time to extend his observations to larger cystic lesions. That's it. No large committees, no large society endorsements, just one man working closely with the urology department, keeping careful track of the cases he saw and making sure he did a lot of radiology-pathology correlation. 
Dr. Bosniak wrote a follow-up article 25 years later, also published in Radiology. In that article published in 2012, he discussed his Bosniak classification system and its impact. He said, frankly, most radiologists had initially ignored the system he proposed in 1986. The folks who loved it, however, were from urology. They suddenly had a classification method they could remember that helped them speak to each other about the findings on the CT scan. And they could publish their surgical results without having to know much about CT. The lesion was simply Bosnia category 1 through 4 on CT. There was only one major problem as far as Dr. Bosniak was concerned. He writes, As experience accumulated, it became obvious that many lesions classified as category 3 were found to be benign at surgery. Therefore, in the 1990s, I introduced the concept of category 2F, F for follow-up. Lesions placed in category 2F were less worrisome than most of the more complicated lesions placed otherwise in category 3. This category system should sound familiar to you. Dr. Bosniak started with four categories, then ended up with five, 1, 2, 2F, 3, and 4. Immensely successful and something we could remember. Sounds like BIRADS for breast lesions, right? Categories 1 to 5. And now repeating itself for LIRADS, MIRADS, and so on. In other fields of medicine, same story. Cardiology has a risk score for stroke, the CHADS score. Five categories seems to be a magic number if you want to change the field. In his 2012 review, Dr. Bosniak also critiqued his own system, pointing out problems. First, he said there can be a difference of opinion between readers for the category of the renal lesion. Agreement between radiologists was only average because the line between different categories was not exact. But Dr. Bosniak was not too worried about this. He stated, There's no question that this is an issue that can be lessened by gaining experience in interpreting cases and obtaining follow-up or pathology correlation. In this way, confidence in one's abilities will progress. But there are more than 30,000 radiologists in the United States. For all of us to take trips down to the pathology department to improve our confidence with rad path correlation is not really realistic. We are busier than ever. We cannot track cases from surgery and pathology months after they occur. I have heard of medical record systems that might help us flag results from pathology or surgery when they become available, but that's not available for most of us. About reader agreement, Dr. Bosniak remarked, there will always be a difference of interpretation of results among users, and there will always be borderline cases. A few other problems acknowledged by Dr. Bosniak. We do not know how long we need to follow the category 2F lesions to ensure they are benign. Also, the Bosniak system was originally defined for CT. There are no special rules for MRI, and the system is mostly not useful for ultrasound. That's the status. The Bosniak system for cystic renal lesions, a system suggested by one radiologist in 1986, and that mostly worked. The attraction is an easy-to-use method that we can remember. The current trends in medicine, however, are not just to develop a method that we can remember. The trend is greater complexity and better accuracy. Remember we discussed the TIE-RADS scoring system for thyroid nodules. The score components are mostly too complex to commit to memory. The LIRAD system for liver lesions changes almost every year. Eventually, we need these systems built into our PACS or radiology information system. We are entering an era of artificial intelligence, no longer a reason for oversimplified systems limited by human memory. Next generation scoring systems will have improved accuracy and better patient care. The authors of our publication on the new Bosniak system take this to heart. 
their system in a comparison to the old Bosniak system takes three pages of print. The rationale for the new system is also more quantitative. Bosniak II lesions have a less than 1% chance of malignancy. But Bosniak IIF lesions have a malignancy rate anywhere from 0 to 38% as reported in the literature. Even Bosniak III lesions have a wide malignancy rate, from 25 to 100%. Disagreement rates between radiologists in the literature range from 6 to 75%. These large ranges of performance are felt to be inaccurate in the era of better and more organized reporting systems. A few specific points about the new Bosniak update. Number one, the updated Bosniak categories emphasize specificity over sensitivity. Back in 1986 with Dr. Bosniak, the early days of CT, lesion detection or sensitivity was an issue. Now, however, we are detecting far too many lesions with MRI in particular, so better specificity has become more important. Number two, both the CT and MRI criteria continue to use category one to four lesions and there is still a category 2F lesion, making five categories in total. Number three, for CT, category two lesions have thin septations, but the word thin has never been defined. The new method defines thin as up to two millimeters. If the septation is three millimeters or more, the lesion is upgraded to category 2F or higher. Number four, also for CT, the new system gives you the Hounsfield unit numbers that you accept for enhancement and for hyperdense cysts. Number five, for MRI, there are new definitions for hyperintense T1 lesions. As you know, so many lesions are bright on T1 MRI. The new criteria give you guidelines. I'll stop there, just a summary of the Bosniak classification method for renal lesions. It may take years for the new guidelines to catch on, just like the original Bosniak paper in 1986 but I do expect you'll hear more about this every time you hear a lecture about the kidney. Next, on to our research articles for August. Our first research article is related to chest CT. However, this topic has application to nearly all imaging studies wherever measurements are made. The title is Deep Learning-Based image conversion of CT reconstruction kernels improves radiomics reproducibility for pulmonary nodules or masses. The research is from a medical center that is becoming familiar to us for great research in many areas of radiology, Asan Medical Center, Republic of Korea. The first author, Dr. Cho. Background. One of the most influential articles published in radiology in the past five years was a review article by Dr. Hedy Resek, Paul Kinahan, and Robert Gillies introducing the topic called radiomics. The title of their 2016 article was Radiomics, Images Are More Than Pictures, They Are Data. If you are in academics, you probably have a definition of radiomics in your head. If in private practice, maybe not. Because as powerful as the concept of radiomics is, to my knowledge, there's no FDA-approved software that uses radiomics to tell you if a tumor is benign or malignant. But hold on for a minute. I want you to think of the best radiologist you ever met. Think of how that person diagnoses a tumor, distinguishes a benign tumor from malignancy that must be removed. There is a very small group of remarkable radiologists who tend to have a feel for a lesion. These radiologists are sought out by clinicians. Everyone seems to know they have a special knack for the correct diagnosis. For me, one such person is Dr. Elliot Fishman at Johns Hopkins. You have seen all those funny little pancreas lesions. Some will kill the patient, pancreatic adenocarcinoma. A lot are benign. 
Dr. Fishman and others like him use radiomics in their head to determine benign or malignant. It's not the size, it's not the density. It's just something about how the lesion appears. That's radiomics. A slightly more formal definition of radiomics is to provide a number that describes the complex features about a lesion. Simple features are size or average density on CT. Complex features are in Dr. Fishman's head, giving a number about the texture of the tumor that makes it look malignant. Plastic has a texture, as does wood or carpet. Our brains recognize these textures immediately, but we're not programmed to give a number that describes the texture of a wool blanket. But radiomics can do that. There are about 1,500 or more numbers that have been invented to describe texture and radiomics. But which one of the 1,500 radiomics parameters is best for a lung tumor? Which radiomics parameter describes the irregular appearance of breast cancer on a mammogram? A lot of radiology research is being done on that topic to go beyond simple parameters like size and density. Already, our researchers have encountered one big problem. The best radiomics parameters on my CT scanner, perhaps for a brain tumor, does not match the best parameter for your CT scanner. The appearance often depends on the imaging equipment that we use, a major problem for advancing the field. We will never be able to get the radiomics texture of a tumor on every possible imaging device. Some of this we already knew about. A short story in that regard. As you may remember, General Electric dominated the market for CT scanners shortly after they were first invented. An entire generation of radiologists learned what a stroke looked like or a brain tumor based on the appearance of a GE CT scan of the brain. Later, Siemens wanted to sell more CT scanners in the United States. The problem, the Siemens images looked different. The texture or something about the Siemens CT images was dramatically different. Radiologists felt uncomfortable reading the scans. They wanted a brain CT that looked like a general electric brain CT. If you are at Siemens and want to sell more CT scanners in the United States, what do you do? First, you test your machines. The density measurements, however, were very accurate. The Siemens engineers said they were actually more accurate than those on the GE CT scans. But still, the customer did not like the appearance. Eventually, Siemens fixed the images. How? They created a new reconstruction kernel. The reconstruction kernel is the algorithm used to make images that have sharp edges, or to emphasize brightness or contrast, or to reduce metal artifacts, and so on. Siemens made a reconstruction kernel that made their brain CT look like general electric brain CT. Wonderful. Customers were now happy, even if German perfection had not been achieved. And that GE appearance on Siemens CT scans of the brain exists even today. This is related to radiomics. It is the texture of the Siemens images that are made to look more like the texture on a GE brain CT. So different CT or MRI devices can give different radiomics numbers. That's the background for today's article. But the fix I discussed for brain CT for Siemens still means that Canon or Philips or others are unlikely to have the same radiomics and texture of GE and Siemens. Purpose. To determine if artificial intelligence can make lesions on lung CT scans look similar despite being reconstructed with different CT reconstruction kernels. The author studied pulmonary nodules and masses. Methods. For chest CT, there are soft tissue kernels for the mediastinum and sharp kernels for the lung parenchyma. The authors wanted an AI to learn how to convert the sharp images to the soft tissue CT and vice versa. This could be done by going back to the raw data on the CT scanner. 
But remember here, the authors used simply the normal images that we see on our PAC system, not using the raw data. Results. Step 1. Determine which radiomics features are reproducible between radiology readers. There were about 700 radiomics features to describe the lung mass. Two radiologists segmented the lung mass on the same images. Compare the radiomics parameters for radiologist number 1 versus number 2. About 85% of the 700 radiomics texture features were reproducible between the readers. Step 2. Now, give one of the radiologists a set of CT images that were reconstructed with a different reconstruction kernel. One of the radiologists gets lung masses seen with a sharp kernel. The other gets the soft tissue kernel. Result. Only about 15% of the 700 radiomics numbers were in agreement, despite being compared on the same lung nodule. Step 3. Train an AI to convert a sharp image to a soft tissue recon and vice versa. A large part of my PhD was in image processing technology. My mentor was a computer scientist who eventually worked for Apple Computer. He would say, this is not possible. When we do image processing, we cannot undo the processing. Information is lost using the conventional methods. We know this. If you convert a photo from color to black and white, you cannot undo the process. On my iPhone, even Apple knows this. They save a hidden version of my original color photo and show me only the black and white. So I can undo the color change in my phone. But in real life, if you look at a black and white photo, you cannot tell if my tie is navy blue or if it's purple. What about artificial intelligence? With sufficient training, the AI was able to change the CT image from the sharp reconstruction kernel to the soft tissue kernel. The radiomics parameters matched 57% out of the 700 parameters. That's not perfect, but many of the features about a tumor could be converted by AI. Conclusion. What does this mean? It means a huge role for AI to make our GECT look like our semen CT. It did not work for all of the 700 radiomics parameters. But remember, out of those 700, there may be only 5 or 10 that describe the texture of the tumor. This development would be critical for advancing radiomics from the research lab to the clinical domain. It means that maybe you too can get Dr. Fishman's brain to help you out to determine benign or malignant pancreatic tumor. Take-home points. When you see a radiomics article, think of the texture of the tumor. If you see amazing results, a new radiomics number that defines benign versus malignant, ask a simple question. Did the authors use a Siemens MRI? And I have a GE MRI, will it still work? Did the authors test their data on other machines? What if I use a different slice thickness, or a field of view, or a different reconstruction kernel? The best research studies will find out which of the 700 radiomics parameters will work on multiple scanners and will find a way to convert images in order to make the texture or radiomics numbers match up. Article 2 for today. The title is Scoring of Coronary Artery Disease Characteristics on Coronary CT Angiograms by Using Machine Learning. The first author is Dr. Kevin Johnson. The study is from Yale Radiology. Background. There are good applications for artificial intelligence and not-so-good applications. The best ones are likely to replace our current conventional software. Two examples. Using AI to improve image quality and reduce noise on CT. I already have this in the clinic in my department at the University of Wisconsin. Another one from Dr. Connie Lehman at the MGH. Replace conventional risk models for breast cancer with an AI that analyzes a mammogram directly. A topic that might not be so good. AI for something we really do not need. Still, one of those types of research topics caught my eye. 
an advertisement about recently published research. Here's the topic. Use AI to determine a patient's likelihood of death just using a chest radiograph. The idea, feed the AI the entire chest x-ray, pop out a probability which patients will live and who will die over the next five years. Kind of scary, kind of Star Trek. What happened? The authors had about 50,000 chest x-rays. The overall prediction was pretty good, remarkable. How did it work? Fortunately, the researchers showed us examples, opened up the black box of the AI. The researchers showed us a chest x-ray and a heat map on top of the image. The hot spots were areas where the AI picked up on clues on the chest x-ray that predicted life or death. But here are some of the clues. Sternal wires. That person had coronary artery disease and died in five years. Enlarged pulmonary arteries and hyalur edema. That patient had pneumonia and died in two years. Breast shadows. The AI guessed that the chest x-ray was a woman. Women have longer lifespans than men, so the AI correctly concluded that the patient was more likely than others to live longer. So if you thought the chest x-ray had a lot of information, maybe you're right. But a first-year resident could also make the same predictions. Perhaps this was just a demonstration of computer vision using AI. But I do very much like the topic of this next research article that uses machine learning. Remember all of our DASH RADS systems. BI-RADS for breast imaging. LI-RADS for liver hepatocellular carcinoma are examples. These systems are developed by panels of experts who sit around a table and negotiate a classification method that should be easy to use and implement. Most important, those systems are usually not backed up by data. One radiologist might think that the arterial phase hyperenhancement in the liver is the most important. Another radiologist believes delayed imaging is even more critical for the diagnosis. The question then, how to add up all of the factors to be most accurate to predict cancer. In my July Part 2 podcast, I discussed how machine learning created a better version of TIRADS for thyroid nodules than a large panel of experts. Purpose. Use machine learning to help classify the features on a coronary CT angiogram. Methods. Coronary CT angio is becoming quite frequent, both in the emergency room and for patients with stable chest pain. For our stable patients, we use a system called CAD-RADS, stands for Coronary Artery Disease RADS, to give an overall score for patient management. The CAD-RADS score is at the bottom of all of our reports. The scores go from 0 to 5. 0 is no coronary artery disease, 1 is less than 30% narrowing, 2 less than 50%, 3 less than 70%, 4 less than 100%, and 5 is total occlusion. The CAD-RADS score applies only to the single worst artery with the most atherosclerotic disease. But does that really make sense? What if five or six different vessel segments have moderate narrowing? Is that really better than a person who has one vessel with 70% narrowing? We know that most myocardial infarctions arise from lesions that have only about 30 or 40% artery narrowing with inflammatory irregular plaque. In this research, the authors used data for each major coronary vessel segment. For each segment, they also had a database of the amount of plaque, the amount of calcification, and the amount of vascular remodeling due to plaque. A total of 64 different parameters. Not so many, but quite unclear how we add up all of those parameters in our brains to estimate which patient is at most risk for infarct or death. The authors use machine learning to add up the 64 parameters in different ways to predict death and infarction. They compared that prediction with the conventional CADRAD score in 7,000 patients who were followed for about nine years after the CT scan. 
Results. The machine learning method had no bias. It just had to learn how to add up all of those different CT parameters. To predict death, the machine learning AUC, or area under the curve, was 0.77, much better than the CADRAD score of 0.70. Remember, the maximum value is 1.0. To predict death from heart disease, the AUC was 0.85 for machine learning and 0.79 for CADRADs. Most patients who have a coronary CT angiogram do not need invasive treatment or angioplasty and stent. They may, however, need statin therapy to treat their plaque. With CADRADs, almost all patients, 93%, needed to start statins. Using machine learning methods, only about 70% of patients needed to start a statin. Summary. Machine learning will help us judge risk and juggle a lot of parameters for us to be more accurate. It seems clear that machine learning will be very useful for determining guidelines for patient management. Take home point. When you see a guideline statement, were the guidelines developed by expert opinion, or did the experts have data to back up their recommendations? More important, was machine learning used to decide which of the expert opinions were really most important? We have seen this already for thyroid nodules and TIRADs. The machine guidelines were simpler to use and better than expert opinion. I hope this trend will continue. Our last topic for today, and perhaps the most far-reaching impact, authors from IBM, together with researchers from radiology in Tel Aviv, Israel. The title is Predicting Breast Cancer by Applying Deep Learning to Linked Health Records and Mammograms. The first author is Dr. Ayelet Axelrod-Ballin, the senior author, Dr. Michael Gundy. Background. One quick case illustrates the importance of the topic of this article, a lucent lesion in a bone on x-ray. Some of the cortical bone surface is gone and you need to make a diagnosis. It could be a tumor, but it could also be an infectious process. Does the patient have any genetic syndrome that would predispose to lytic lesions, perhaps EG, or maybe it's metastases? I left out the clinical history. If you're not too busy, you'd use the electronic medical record and find out this was a 42-year-old patient with a history of drug abuse. You suddenly recognize the bone is sort of moth-eaten. You see that the soft tissue edema is also present. Yes, that's a bone abscess related to infected needles. Next case. So detection is usually pretty easy. Characterization of lesions much more difficult. You often need just a few clinical parameters, perhaps age and gender for every case. In the bone case I mentioned, if I had mentioned the white blood count was 18,000 and the patient was acutely febrile, that would certainly help. Background. We have had many studies so far where AI is used to interpret the chest x-ray or mammogram or other type of film. But as a clinician, that does not really make sense to you. This research study is the first very large and very ambitious study that combines the electronic health record with AI interpretation of the radiology image. Purpose. Detect early breast cancer by using AI to evaluate information in the electronic medical record together with AI interpretation of the mammogram. Methods. The authors evaluated more than 50,000 mammograms for 13,000 women. The women's records were included if they had an electronic health record for at least one year prior to the mammogram. The authors trained the AI to do two things. First, predict which women would have breast cancer within one year of having a mammogram. Second, predict which mammograms would be normal and which would be abnormal after biopsy. The electronic health record, I will abbreviate that as EHR. The authors had full access to the EHR. There were more than 1,300 parameters for these patients on average. 
simple issues such as age, weight, and family history, but also a lot of lab tests, blood work, glucose levels, all the routine tests. Some factors were already known to be associated with breast cancer, first-degree relative, history of ovarian cancer, and so on. The AI could use that information, but was also free to pick and choose from any of the other 1,300 parameters. The mammogram. Separately, the AI was taught how to interpret a standard four-view digital mammogram, two views of each breast. A deep learning neural network was used. It was trained on mammograms from about 10,000 women. Next. The AI that interpreted the mammogram alone was tested on a separate set of 2,500 women. The AI that interpreted the EHR was also tested. Then the researchers had a combined AI that used both the mammogram and the EHR. Results. In the test set, after one year, there were 71 women with breast cancer. In half of these, the positive mammogram finding was missed by the radiologist a year earlier but the combination of the mammogram and the EHR found half of those otherwise missed cases. In general, to predict malignancy, the AUC for the clinical information alone was 0.78. The mammogram interpreted by the AI had an AUC of 0.88, much better. The AI that used both the mammogram and the EHR did even better, AUC 0.91. That corresponds to a specificity of 77%, at a sensitivity of 87%. Next, identify which mammograms were normal, defined as BIRADS 1 and 2, and who had normal mammograms for at least two years later. The AI interpreting the EHR alone had an AUC of 0.8. AI of only the mammogram was 0.8 as well. Using the AI to interpret the EHR combined with the mammogram had a higher AUC of 0.85. The combined master AI had a specificity of 65%, sensitivity 87%. Conclusion. This is the first major article that has two features. Number one, direct industry involvement. Number two, taking into account both the electronic health record and the imaging data. The AI was taught to separately interpret both the EHR and to interpret the images. The AI was then taught how to combine all of that information and come up with a diagnosis. This approach of the AI combing through the medical record may help us discover additional clues. In the bone case I started with, the elevated white blood cell count would certainly be associated with infection. But what about mammography? As expected, the AI used factors such as body mass index, age of the patient, childbearing history. Besides the conventional risk factors, the AI also used thyroid hormone, creatinine levels, percent monocyte levels in the blood to make a better prediction. We don't know why. More data is needed. But if you're a woman being evaluated for breast cancer, you don't really care why. Take-home message. You are a solo practitioner or a small group practice. You are not plugged into the main electronic health record for the patient population that you serve. You have a paper form about medical history. That's going to be inadequate in the future. You need an AI to rapidly scan the electronic health record and tell you about the most important factors in this case to diagnose a breast cancer, but also to quickly tell you about factors related to infection or genetic risk. Being part of a large healthcare system is going to be mandatory for AI applications. Remember our training, always correlate image findings with the medical record. Just that we're often too busy, it's too complicated. I hope the AI will help us do this routinely within the next five years. Congratulations to the researchers of this article and to the industry partners from IBM. You're on the right path, combine the EHR data with image interpretation for a better diagnosis. 
That concludes this week's articles. One quick note, I want to mention a new feature on the Radiology Journal website. Along with every article, we now have a slide summarizing the key results. This is called the Visual Abstract. The slide has a key image to illustrate the results of the research and two or three major take-home points. The slide can be viewed or downloaded by anyone. It might be helpful for a journal club and discussion of the latest research in the field. The slides are edited primarily by Dr. Linda Moy, our senior deputy editor for this journal. I hope these podcasts are helpful to you. Until next time, this is Dr. David Blumke, editor for the journal Radiology. I hope you have a good rest of your week.